0: The beginning of the 21st century brought along many promises and hopes for the future. Or if you're a pessimist, it's just an excuse to see the odometer turn over. Still though, it was the celebration of the year 2000 that gave people the world over the biggest renewed hope yet that things were going to change for the better. Which actually turned out to be the case for about 21 months. See if you can guess why that stopped. Anything that happened beyond that point, whether it be in current events or everyday life, was suddenly met with a fresh code of cynicism, and any chance to be optimistic about the future, while still valid, was often smeared with an asterisk. The WB television network was no exception. The first half of the WB's existence was a charmed time, and I'm not even talking about the show with the hot witches in them. I mean, everything that was happening at that network in its first six years on the air made it seem as though they would be truly anointed the fifth network into the next century. But then, that next century rolled in. And with it, a number of problems that seemed to have stemmed from one major one taking place. (laughs) Now, this is a story for another place in time. It really has nothing to do with the subject of today's show, and given how complicated the situation was, I'll try to give you the layman's terms. But the short version is that in the spring of 2001, one of the network's biggest hit shows, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, suddenly found itself in a bit of a three-way tug-of-war between the network that aired it, its nearby competition, UPN, and the studio that produced the show, 20th Century Fox. The conflict was that the WB wanted another season of Buffy, but for far less money per episode than what Fox was charging to produce them. One thing led to another, the WB couldn't agree to a fair price for a full season, no matter how big a hit the show was for the network, and suddenly, Buffy became a free agent. Conventional wisdom at the time would have indicated that because Buffy was made by Fox Studios, it could easily make the move over to the Fox network. Except they already had plans for a Joss Whedon property scheduled to air on the network the next year, and that show is expected to run forever, I'm sure. Fortunately, by this point in history, Fox managed to become the new broadcast partner of that other fledgling TV network. And through a series of deals, Buffy would keep slaying at UPN for two more seasons, leaving the WB and its future in a state of disarray. Not that they didn't have any successes by that point. Dawson's Creek was still around, as was Felicity, Charmed, and Buffy's spinoff, Angel, as well as the debuts of future network staples, Gilmore Girls, One Tree Hill, and Smallville, among others. But by that point, the tides had turned. The WB started to lose viewers thanks to UPN finally having a decent enough lineup that they would become the perennial fifth-place network for a little while. But in spite of all the shifts and changes taking place between the two networks, that was nothing compared to a far more significant change that was about to shake up not just the two networks, but network television altogether.
1: And now...
2: Hello, my baby. This is I remember.
3: It's WB
0: Semba. In January. Check, please. In We've largely ignored the format of reality television these past few years, and for good reasons. Quite honestly, it's probably one of the most uninspiring yet awe-inspiring genres of entertainment to ever exist, but even more so, there's a sameness to it that no matter how much they try to spice things up with new offerings, reality TV, especially reality competition shows, are pretty much the same no matter what you watch. A bunch of people compete for a prize. Every week, the crowd gets thinner one contestant at a time, and then ultimately, one person is left standing to win that prize. Lather, rinse, repeat. No matter how colorful the packaging looks, no matter if there's 20% more anything added to it, no matter what they're trying to sell you, all reality competition shows are exactly the same. Whether the prize is money, Travis Spoken. Love.
2: Will you accept this rose?
0: Simply showing off for bragging rights and no monetary gain whatsoever.
2: The winners of Dancing with the Stars are
1: Alfonso and.
0: Or even a performance contract. The winner of American Idol 2002 is Kelly Clarkson. And yet, despite how much the reality competition genre is a format both tried, true, and tired at the same time people will still tune in to see them anyway for the simple fact that it, not unlike most other fictionalized television, is escapism. We still tune in to root on the heroes and boo the villains no matter how big or how small the stakes may be. That was the driving force behind Survivor when it came out of nowhere in the year 2000 to become an international phenomenon that still lingers on to this day. Of course, once a new idea appears out of nowhere to become a massive hit, It's all but surprising to see if the other networks can put lightning in a bottle a second time. Part of the reason why Survivor worked when it first debuted was the notion that... ...that could never work. Thus bringing everybody's expectations to ground levels... ...and then having the final expectations reach the stratosphere once everything is said and done. The same thing could be said in 2002 when the Fox Network had their own plans. Not unlike Survivor, American Idol appeared in the summer of 2002 with seemingly little fanfare or advance notice, save for a couple of promos and maybe a local commercial or two, asking viewers to stop by a certain location to audition for a show where you get to sing. Nobody and I mean, nobody, knew what to expect when the show premiered that summer, especially when some of the promos for the first few episodes were unleashed to the masses. The initial reaction would probably be, who would ever watch a singing competition just to hear tone-deaf singers get their spirits torn to shreds by, in no particular order, a former pop star, a bass player for Journey, and an acidic-tongued British man that nobody knew? As it turns out, that was only half of the formula. The other half being that we get to follow those who didn't suck at singing climb up the ranks so that we ultimately find out who the newest star in the music world will be, while the runner-up gets to do soda commercials for the rest of his life. He's hot. I'm thirsty, too. Nevertheless, American Idol's success once again paved the way for imitators and duplicators alike to try and take a piece of the action. Meanwhile, in Burbank... The WB was struggling to keep its head above water after losing Buffy, losing affiliates, and also losing money while maintaining the integrity of what few other hit shows they had on the air by 2004. Then, as now, one of the most cost-efficient ways to save money while producing television is, was, and will always be reality shows, competitions or otherwise. All they need to do is pay the basic scale fee for all the technical behind-the-scenes stuff, maybe a little extra for whoever's hosting the show, and a little more still for those who appear on camera and in the right conditions. A show like that can run forever, no matter how mutated it becomes over three decades.
4: This is the true
2: story. Seven strangers picked to live in a loft
0: and have their lives taped
4: to find out what happens
2: right when people stop being polite
0: and start getting real. The real world. But getting to the point, we would now like to introduce you to, at best, a person named Mike Fleiss. A native of California, Fleiss was actually one of the more prolific names in the world of reality television, having, by 2004, created ABC's The Bachelor and its spin-off, The Bachelorette. And at the same time, he was also one of the creative forces behind the dignity desert of the year 2000 known as Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire on Fox, the tale of which you can hear at the tail end of our 13th episode. Point being, Fleiss was seen as a person of interest to TV networks in an effort to give those that were underperforming a chance to ride the wave of a growing genre. Upon pitching the following idea to the WB, the network hired him immediately. The idea was a twist on the red-hot American Idol format, but different enough so that while the show itself was indeed a competition program, one could argue that this may have been more of a spoof on the genre. Simply put, the show would take Idol's quest to find the best singer in the world and reverse-engineer it. In that, they would strive to do the complete opposite of Idol and deliberately look for the worst singer in America. The reasoning behind this seems warped at first glance, but keep in mind, there were those out there watching American Idol who would simply watch just for the bad auditions and nothing else, some of whom actually wound up with unironically ironic careers.
2: She bangs! She bangs!
0: Oh, baby! When she moves! She moves! She moves! I go crazy! So perhaps the WB was looking to give a portion of Idol's audience what they wanted. One problem, though. How exactly could they hold a singing competition where they're looking for the worst singer in the world without actually saying so until the bitter end? After all, think of just how much psychological damage they could be inflicting onto the contestants. Answer? Answer? inflict that same psychological damage to the unsuspecting studio audience who would eventually have to subject themselves through this. And the way they did it is equal parts perplexing and horrific. But we'll get to that part later. In the meantime, the show still needed its set of hosts and judges to vaguely mirror the original idol dream team of host Ryan Seacrest and judges Simon Cowell, Paula Abdul, and Randy Jackson. In the role of the Seacrest type, TV and radio presenter Brian McFadden will be there for all the color commentary. To fulfill the Paula Abdul pop star judge requirement, A singer and actress named Colleen Ann Fitzpatrick, who Generation Wires and Millennials might know better as Vitamin C. Substituting for Randy Jackson and his many ways to call a contestant dog, one Mr. Anthony Terrell Smith, aka rapper Tone Loke. I asked the guy why you so fly. He said, Funky Coma data... And stepping in for Simon Cowell is somebody named Christopher Briggs, a guy who is not only the co-executive producer of this show, but would later on find much better work as a producer of indie films, which he still does to this day. The cast is set, and the call is made to those who can actually watch the WB that a new chance to become a superstar in the USA is on the horizon. But with those participating and those watching be able to swallow a premise the size of an elephant tranquilizer. We'll find out as the WB's Superstar USA gets a bunch of rotten tomatoes thrown at its stage after the break.
1: More, more, more.
5: We're in the Muppet (laughs) Test Kitchen. The Swedish Chef is making his delicious star-shaped cereal, new Crunchy Stars with cinnamon toast taste. Mm
2: -hmm. Crunchy Stars. Mm -hmm.
5: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Crunchy Stars. Part of this nutritious breakfast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Crunchy Stars. Great taste from Post and the Swedish Mm -hmm. Chef.
3: This week on Telehel's Premium Content of the Damned. This summer, there's only one place you can see every minute of every game of the U.S. Olympic basketball team live. The dream team of Georgia, birds. Ewing, Robinson, Pippen, Drexler, Mullen, Barkley, Stockton, Malone, and Magic. How? Order the Olympics triple cast. You get three channels running simultaneously, 24 hours a day. All your favorite Olympic events with absolutely no interruptions. All for only $29.95 a day. Order now and get all 15 days for only $125. That's less than $9 a day. Call 1-800-Olympic to order. It's like being courtside for eight all-star games. And there's only one way to see every minute of every game live. The Olympics Triple Cast. Call 1-800-Olympic for the dream team. The Olympics Triple Cast. The only way to see every spectacular minute of these historic games. The Olympics Triple Cast. Call 1-800-Olympic. The only way to listen to Telehel's premium content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. for just a few bucks a month. You can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. Now at new low prices. And now, back to this
0: week's torture. Now before we start, we're going to do things just a little differently for this one. As we mentioned at the top, most reality competition shows have a basic sense of lather, rinse, repeat that shows off just how formulaic they can be sometimes. The point being is that, for a full hour, it's just a mix of bad-slash-good and good-slash-bad auditions, and I know your time is valuable. So, for this part of the show, we're just going to cover the basic details in the first episode, because the real torture comes when we get to the show's finale. I'm not kidding. This one... Just... Vomit's coming up the back of my throat just thinking about it. So stay tuned. In the meantime... May 17th, 2004. The war in Iraq continues a year after mission accomplished was erroneously declared. Massachusetts becomes the first state in the USA to legalize same-sex marriages. And at 9pm, 8pm Central, television's latest experiment in human behavior gone awry begins with the setup to The Premise by our wannabe Seacrest most of which we've already explained in the previous segment, but now let's just hear the premise in practice. We're out to find a new kind of singing superstar. So while other talent shows are
5: looking for this,
2: And it was just my mind.
5: We're looking for this. But on our show, it's not enough for singers to be bad. They have
0: to believe they're great
2: star because i am a star in itself i have charisma and you guys will have to see
0: hearing the premise and the tone deafness out loud one has to wonder if the wb picked up this show out of desperation or if they secretly realized that there may be a spark of insanity meshed with genius here don't answer that question just yet, since we now get to formally meet the judges as they give us all some of their best Tina Fey-style backhanded compliments. If you're
4: cocky and confident, and you don't have the goods to back it up,
0: you're exactly what we're looking for. We're gonna turn everything you ever heard about singing
2: upside down on this show. You know what I mean? The good singers are whack, and the whack
4: singers are good. You know what I'm saying?
5: Briggs, what do you say to people who think this show is cruel and offensive?
0: I'd have to say... So now it's time to present an example of what an actual good singer gets to go through in the judging process, as well as simultaneously advertising psychiatric care as a result of these rejections.
2: All that's left are the dreams I hold
4: is a band of gold.
0: Stop. Um, we're
4: looking for a superstar, and you don't quite have the voice. I just don't think you're right for this show.
0: I think it was kind of... Let me use the word "wack." And, of course, the complete and total opposite when we get to praise the mediocre.
5: Celebrate good times. Come on. Let's celebrate everyone around the world. Come on.
4: Um, I thought it was really good. I thought it was great.
0: Okay, I think we're going to put a pin in you for later. Just stand by. Otherwise, that's pretty much it for the first few weeks literally weeks since this show was only slated to air for seven episodes hey if they get to rush through this thing so can i we get our usual string of auditions the semi-finalists are chosen to go through their version of hollywood week where they get made over to look like stars and also live in a rented mansion on the wb's dime and from that bunch the final 12 are selected for their shot at the big time Albeit a completely fabricated big time, but they do promise a prize of a $100,000 recording contract. All of which leads to the big reveal. We
5: like when we say,
0: you are a great, great. singer. Sing. 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 And how will the superstar react? This, unfortunately, is just the beginning. So let's not waste too much time as we take a look at the best... Of the worst, of the best, and the worst, just from this one show alone. Because on most reality TV, all it takes is one show to suck you in, and possibly suck your soul dry. So, I've really got nothing to lose here. So now, enjoy this montage of pain disguised as the most mutated version of Name That Tune you will ever play in your lifetime. (laughs) Next.
2: I get so emotional, baby, every time I think of you.
0: Okay, we're gonna put a pin in you for later as well. Next. Since you've been gone,
5: all that's left is a band of gold. All that's left are the dreams I hold, is a band of gold, is a
0: band of gold. It's- Next. goes on, as I'm sure you can tell. But right now, I want to zero in on one particular voice that they showcased in the first episode, who would become pivotal down the line. Her name is Jamie. Picture, if you will, the most sunny, optimistic, bleach blonde girl with perky breasts and the brightness of a refrigerator light bulb that not even central casting could find.
2: I was beat incomplete I've been held I was You made me feel yeah, you made me feel Now,
0: I know what you're thinking. Sure, she doesn't sound like anybody you would ever find on American Idol, but unlike everybody else that we've heard so far, and in her defense, at least here she can carry a tune. More like a, I can keep up with a car radio levels of okay, but that's it. She's just Okay not horrific, which, again, this show seems to be deliberately aiming for, so I'm guessing the only other reason why what happens next happens is less for her lack of talent and more for her... personality. I would
4: encourage you to be even more sexual sex sells. So I can be sexual,
5: okay? I must say, you are a very sexy person. And you know what impressed me the
2: most is that, you know, you were moving around and you were dancing. You had your little charisma. And I like
4: that. I like when a person moves around and doesn't just stand right there in one spot. You know what I'm saying? That's cool. I'm actually, I'm a bit embarrassed. um, But I have to be honest. I don't know if you know this, Jamie. um, You have very large breasts. Um,
2: They are real. Okay. I'm not kidding. The problem
4: is I
0: was distracted and I didn't pay attention to your singing voice. Are you feeling dirty yet? Well, just wait. As we now present, for equal time purposes, a series of actual good singers getting their hopes crushed for the sake of schadenfreude. Oh,
2: you know I knew.
4: I kind of loved it, and I kind of hated it, but I mostly hated it. Fine.
5: One of the best singers the panel encountered was Doreen, who traveled all the way from Canada for her
0: shot at fame. What are you doing in Canada? Sorry, sorry, but come on, how often is Canada even brought up around here? Uh, Please, continue.
2: Oh, Canada, we stand on
4: It actually makes me sick to listen to the Canadian National Anthem. This is
0: Superstar USA. Yes, who needs people from the Great White North when we need singers from America! But, please, go on.
2: Freedom!
4: Okay, Teresa. I've got, I've got good news and I've got okay. bad news. Great. The bad news is, you are not a strong singer. The good news is, you're hot, and
0: I would love to take you out to dinner. And you can fuck all the way off, sir. Please continue. We're well,
2: back to being strangers, wondering if we ought to stay. Okay, please stop. Sorry?
5: I can tell by that pitch right there. You know what I'm saying? That that really, you know, wasn't cool. You know, it's not my style right there. To I cut a
0: long cool. story short, right. let's take a look now at some of the highest lowlights in this show before jumping ahead to the finals. One involving a bad singer pulling a move of desperation to move forward in the competition. I
2: see your true colors, and that's why I love you, so don't be afraid to let them
0: show to find it a little gimmicky. And once again, I know what you're thinking. She sounded okay, but what did she do that was so desperate?
4: I I mean, listen, I'm not saying, like, get rid of the whole naked thing. Like, maybe, you know, maybe a breast here, a butt cheek there or something, but I'm just saying, don't be so gimmicky. Then I
0: stripped down to the nude, and I just rolled back and forth across the room, you know? Yes. She stripped down completely naked in front of the judges. Hey, if it worked for Richard Hatch on Survivor, I'm sure it would have worked for her. Credit where credit's due, however. There have been auditions in bikinis on other talent shows in years past, but at least there was still a semblance of modesty involved, plus giving the network sense of the day off. But what does nude performance art wind up getting her? Bin, bin. Yeah, she's naked. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank you.
0: I honestly don't know. Because that wasn't a flat out rejection, but it wasn't a concrete yes either, in spite of our male judges digging what they saw. So while that will remain an unsolved mystery, here now, right near the end of the show, is the second of our lowlights. This time from an actual good singer. All previous good singers getting dissed were just appetizers for this next one, who sings her heart out with a tune by Gladys Knight.
2: L.A. proved too much for the man, so he's leaving love.
4: Stop. That's enough. You got, you know, one real shot. Um, I didn't sense there was the preparation with that song, which is disrespectful to Gladys Knight, and uh, it's a little disrespectful to the pips.
2: I I was disrespectful to Gladys Knight by singing one of her songs, cause I don't come
5: close, I, I didn't want to sing it like her, I wanted to sing it like me.
4: <sighs> she was sweet.
5: She's too good of a singer.
4: That's terrible.
3: He
0: isn't. Biggest I've ever met. That's
4: me, man. That's me.
5: Jerk. Big jerk.
0: As a representative of the underworld, it's normally our policy to inflict pain onto those who may or may not deserve it. As such, we're not responsible for anything that happens once the infliction makes its way onto the surface. Whether or not the torture is executed properly is a matter of dumb luck. That being said... I think even the boss himself would have been jealous that they didn't come up with this idea first. Maybe because I still have a few lingering threads of humanity left in me, but try to imagine that you've been working your whole life at a chance at something that could change your life, only to not only have that chance be taken away from you, but also have that same chance being given to someone of lesser... everything, let alone talent. Forget Superstar USA this show should have been called The Peter Principle, The Series. And yet, the deliberate trashing of hard-working talent is not even the worst thing about this show. Which we will now begin to discuss by discussing this social experiment's final episode. June 14th, 2004. Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, is number one at the box office. Burn, by Usher, an actual musical talent, was at the top of the Hot 100, and at that same time slot of 9pm, 8pm central. The curtain is raised as our three finalists try to prove to the few who were watching at that time that they had actual talent enough to make them worthy of winning a record contract. But before we get to the show itself... Let us reintroduce you to our three finalists. Starting with a kid named Mario, who you've already heard at the top of the review. Let's
5: celebrate everyone around the world, come on.
0: Next, there was Rosa, who you heard about five minutes after that.
2: I get so emotional, baby, every time I
0: think of you. And of course, we've got our bubbly blonde sunshine with a natural rack. Jamie.
2: I've been here, I was sad in blue, but you made me feel
0: Today, these three young people are after big bucks, but they'll have to avoid the whammy as they play the most exciting game of their lives Damn it, I got the wrong script Where is it, where is it? Today, these three poor, young, naive individuals are about to think they're going to be the next big superstar. But what happens when the rug is pulled from underneath them? Don't answer that question just yet, because we need to hear our finalists perform. But not before we get the reality TV equivalent of a training montage, where we see our finalists get some last-minute advice from the show's resident vocal coach, who I'm hoping was paid in earplugs before signing her contract.
4: I've got some exciting news for you today. Gonna to tell you what the song is that you're singing. Oh yeah, it's Respect.
2: What you want, baby? I got it. What?
5: Song that you're going to be doing um, that's been chosen for you. It's Aerosmith. I don't want to miss a thing. I did this song once in a karaoke. Like, <laughs> okay, well
2: yeah. then it's I don't wanna fall
5: asleep,
2: yeah, and I don't want to miss a thing. We're going to start off with "Food Delicious." Do you know this song?
4: I have some lyrics
2: here for you okay for this jelly, I don't think you're ready for this jelly, I don't think you're ready for this.
0: My so, sorry, so now thanks to the simple fact that these songs are about to get butchered more than cattle on a feedlot we don't have to worry about getting zapped on YouTube for the use of audio that we're about to inflict and as you're attempting to listen to this and all the other performances in the next few minutes I want you to ask yourself, what do these performances have in common with each other, aside from how much of an insult to tone-deafness they all are? It's that something else that leads to the worst thing about this show that we've been teasing for you for the past few minutes. First up, Jamie's interpretation of Aretha Franklin's Respect. Watch
2: you all! on TV in the back of the limo. I haven't seen anything that embarrassing since a moth flew in my mouth at the Hollywood Bowl. You know what it means to me Take care of Now listen, let's get one thing straight. I'm not Martha and you ain't no Vandella. Yeah, right. I'm a solo act. Okay, we're
0: okay. Next up, Mario attempts an impression of Steven Tyler doing Don't Want to Miss a Thing as if he was a freshly spayed cat. Don't want to close my eyes Don't
2: want to fall asleep Cause I miss you, baby And I don't want to miss a thing Cause even when I say I'm here Bob Barker reminding you, helps control
3: the pet population. Have your pets bathe or And I don't want
0: to miss a day. Finally, Rosa, come on down and do what you can to butcher Beyonce's work. That'll
2: be the daily work.
0: Performance alone may have been enough to incur the wrath of the Beygency. How long have you
4: been in here? 2004. I was at a wedding. <laughs> they played Crazy in Love, and I didn't dance. I didn't dance.
0: <laughs> All three of these performances lead up to the show's first elimination of the evening. The
5: first entertainer to advance to our climactic duet is Mario. <laughs> The last entertainer to advance to
0: our climactic duet is Jamie. Which brings us to the performance which will determine the winning loser of this enterprise. Not unlike the finales of Idol, The Voice, or any other singing competition, the winner is determined via dueling duet. Both Mario and Jamie will be singing together. And also, worth noting, we'll be hearing each other sing for the first time during this duet. Just how perforated will our eardrums get is anybody's guess. And also, have you figured out yet what the common bond between all these performances are? We'll reveal the answer as soon as we get a performance of that song from Dirty Dancing that would be enough to wake Patrick Swayze from the dead and beat on the producer of this show, Roadhouse style. Now I've been waiting for so long, now I finally found someone to stand by me.
2: Roddings on the walls of her feet, magic
5: fantasy. Here we go! Now we're in the right.
2: There's no way we could disguise it secretly. So we take each other's hands. So
0: you know, hand. I was gonna save this for another occasion, but given the subject, I think the time is right. Recently, one of Telehell's biggest influences passed away. He was a TV critic and presenter named Victor Lewis Smith. People in the United States might not know who he was, but in the UK, he had a reputation for tearing television apart in a way that only Siskel and Ebert wished they could do for movies. On TV in the UK, Lewis Smith hosted a show in the 90s called TV Awful, spelled with an O. A show where he used his poison pen and acidic tongue to take down everything that annoyed him about television one segment at a time. In fact, I'm such a fan of his work that we've shamelessly used sound bites from that show in some episodes of our own show. Anytime you hear this... His critics were less kind. That was him. And I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that every time we said after the break it was really more of an homage to Victor Lewis Smith whenever he threw it to commercial break on his own show.
3: Did the First Lady of the Philippines wish for once that she hadn't got a full nine inches thrusting inside her? Or was it just a trick rubber blade that only went boing against her stomach? In short, was she about to become a past tense person? Find out after the break.
0: And he will be missed. But the whole point I'm trying to make here is that one of those segments on TV awful was a feature called Kamikaze Karaoke.
2: If you want to know what the stars really sound like Here's your chance with Kamikaze
0: Karaoke. The segment was basically Lewis Smith giving his own interpretation of what he thought certain pop stars of the day sounded like to him. Here's just one of many examples of that one segment. Some
3: people say that Elvis was the king, but I've always been a staunch Republican where Mr. Presley is concerned, so this is how he sounds to me.
2: Well, baby, if a man your man don't the guy might have said
0: As a small tribute to the late great Victor Lewis Smith, I would like to present to you what I personally feel that poor excuse of a duet sounded like to me. Keeping in mind, this is not my true singing voice. I'm only doing an impression of these two future Darwin Award winners. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I've been waiting for so long, now I've finally found someone to stand by me.
2: We saw the writing on the
1: wall, as we felt this magical fantasy.
2: So no, we, we touched the other's head, cause we going no to understand. Understand.
0: Thank you, thank you. I'm here for all eternity, and please don't forget to tip your demons. So now we get to grand reveal number one as to who the winner of this Kafka esque talent show is and their chance to bask in the fleeting moment. The WB Superstar USA is.
2: Get off with it!
0: Seeing this, but the second it was announced that Jamie was the quote unquote winner, Mario just storms off of the stage without any conciliatory handshakes, hugs, or well wishes. Almost as though deep down he knew something that nobody else seemed to be understanding. After all, how can a singer like this possibly lose to a singer like this? While I'm sure this will all be a great story to tell his future psychiatrist, it's still Jamie's moment in the sun, which she, and the audience, gets to enjoy for a couple minutes more. Up to and including a highlight reel of her six-week journey to pseudo-superstardom.
5: The search for the WB Superstar USA began with thousands of auditioners as we combed the country in search of the perfect voice. Then, in Minneapolis, we found you, Jamie.
2: My performance was really good. I, I nailed all the notes and all the words, which I'm really happy about. I just think I did a great job, and I hope I can continue to stay in this competition.
0: Now... Before we get to the real reveal that this series has been building itself up towards, I'm going to ask one more time what each of the previous performances had in common, other than the fact that they could all put dog whistle manufacturers out of business. In order to answer that, I'm going to have to subject you to these performances one more time. I promise, I promise I will only play short snippets of them. Only this time, I want you to try as hard as you can not to listen to the songs themselves and rather listen to everything surrounding the songs. Listen very carefully because this is what leads to that horrifying twist that I promised you. So take a listen.
2: Oh, yes,
0: thing that each of these performances had in common with each other. Answer? The fact that the studio audience was eating every single second of them up. Like, they were genuinely cheering on these people who can't carry a tune even if it was a bride over a threshold. But why? Why would this crowd, or for that matter, crowds from all the other episodes of the show that aired in between the pilot and the finale, encourage our poor, unsuspecting contestants to keep sucking at singing? What could possibly motivate them to motivate these delusional dreamers? The answer to that question could be found in a May 2004 article from USA Today, which I'm going to skim through for you right now. And I quote... It's a show that probably shouldn't have been made because it's just that mean and nasty. But God, is it fun to watch. Says Mike Fleiss, executive producer of the WB's Superstar USA, who acknowledges that his new No Talent show is about pulling a big prank on 12 young singers. It's the greatest show I've ever made, said Fleiss, who is known for ABC's successful Bachelor franchise, as well as Far Lesser Lights, Are You Hot, and Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire. The WB doesn't have a show that comes close to idol idol-sized ratings. The network's highest-rated show, Seventh Heaven, averages 5.6 million viewers. Idol's Tuesday shows average 26 million. Already, Superstar has come under fire. During the taping of the finale, it was reported last week that producers lied to the audience, telling them the contestants were terminally ill... patients... from the Make-A-Wish Foundation... The producers worried that if they didn't cultivate sympathy, the audience would laugh or boo and ruin the show's concept. After the incident was reported by the Los Angeles Times, executives for Superstar USA and the WB issued apologies. First of all, it was me, Fly says, but I did not say make a wish. I said, who's heard of the One Wish Foundation and people raised their hands? There is no One Wish Foundation. It was a prank on top of a prank. It was the only way to get it to work. End quote. They tricked the studio audience into thinking the show's contestants were terminally ill. They tricked the studio audience into thinking that the show's contestants were terminally ill? They tricked the studio audience into thinking the show's contestants were terminally ill, and that's why they cheered them on. And the show's producers thought it would be a... Great joke. This is now officially, regardless of what happens in the Nine Circles, the single most evil TV show that I've had the misfortune to review. I mean, it's just pure evil. Like, I-, I want to lash out at this show. Like, I really want to go through the whole fire and explosion and deep devil voice routine that I would normally go through whenever I come across something that's truly bad in a TV show but this is beyond that it's one thing to tell good singers that they're bad and vice versa and it's another thing to keep telling those bad singers not to change a thing about how bad they sound but Exploiting the terminally ill? And not just that, but also... Making up a fake charity in order to pull it all off? There's... There's nothing to say. There is... Absolutely nothing else to say except go fuck yourself as hard as you possibly can, Mike Fleiss. And I hope that you bleed out of every orifice from that fucking. Just seriously, fuck off. Just. Play the punchline and, and let's just get this over with. Jamie, we lied to you when we said you were a great singer, but we didn't
5: lie to you about how much this audience loves you right now. All right, guys. I have one question for you, Jamie. Are you willing to put in the effort? And do whatever it takes to become a true superstar.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah! Yes! That's
5: why you are our Superstar USA. And we're honored to present you with a $50,000 talent and recording deal. How do you feel about that? there's more. For being such a good sport, we're also going to give you another $50,000 for a grand, no, I won't shut up, for a grand total of $100,000. Congratulations, Jamie.
0: Money that I'm sure will keep Jamie's future psychiatrist happy for years to come in mental health counseling. And again, considering how oblivious Jamie seems to be taking the news, maybe she took it in stride after all. Well, that's it, everyone.
5: Thanks to our incredible panel of experts, Tone Low, Vitamin C, and Briggs. And thanks to Jamie, our first ever WV Superstar USA. I'm Brian McFadden on behalf of myself and everyone at the WV Superstar USA. Thanks for watching. And here's hoping that someday soon, your impossible dream comes true, just like Jamie's. Good night, everyone.
0: One final verbal middle finger from our host as the runners-up will hopefully take the same stride with their consolation prizes.
5: This whole entire show was a search for America's worst singers. Considering all that has happened Who cares what the show is about? I I got to live out a dream. Before I came on the show, I was this quiet, shy person, but I had a love of singing. Getting on the show, it brought out this inner me that was like the warrior Mario, this fire that I didn't know existed.
0: And all it cost you was what little dignity you had coming into this anti-talent show in the first place. This was the worst TV show I've ever seen in my afterlife. Yeah, worse than the game show with the lie detectors. Worse than Shasta McNasty. This is now the lowest of all the lows that I've seen down here. But somehow I doubt it can still ring all nine circles. God damn it, does my boss know how to pick them.
1: Bimbo, lust, gluttony,
0: greed, wrath, heresy, violence, or treachery. First, the stuff on the surface. The notion of tuning into a talent show just to see the people who suck only works on American Idol because those singers are really only meant to be comic relief for the actual talent that appears later on in a given season. Having an entire series based on people who can't carry a tune and expecting the audience to follow their every tone-deaf word makes the viewers feel like gluttons for punishment. At the same time, no matter if this was a spoof of reality shows or not, they seem to have also fixated on the idea that how you look is more important than how you sound. The show's attempts to glitz and glamorize our lamps to the slaughter, not to mention that nude auditioner in the pilot, gives the viewers the sense of lusting over the next big star. But given the benefit of the doubt, so massive that it could be measured in light years, if this idea were executed in any other way, this could have been a great parody of reality shows in general. A few weeks ago, when talking about the mullets, we made a passing reference to something called The Joe Schmo Show. What would you do if your entire world turned out to be fake? If an army of writers, producers, and actors spent over a year creating TV's most elaborate experiment around you. If they plotted your every move, recorded it 24 hours a day, and put it on national television. Well, that's exactly what happened to this guy. Meet Matt Kennedy Gould, one real guy competing for $100,000 on a reality show that he doesn't know is fake. The Joe Schmo Show aired on the network formerly known as Spike TV in 2003 and 2004, plus a revival season in 2013. This was a show that leaned more on the parody side of things than actual reality by placing an unsuspecting participant in the middle of a fabricated competition where the contestants were played by actors, up to and including a pre-SNL Kristen Wiig. Ultimately, the premise is sprung in the last episode that the entire show was fake and that the show's. Sole participant would receive $100,000 for going through everything, even though it was clearly a joke aimed at that one participant. I'm sure there were many other ways to try and get a studio audience in on the joke without actually blowing the joke. But the very notion of the producers resorting to flat out lying to the audience that every one of the participants involved in this show were terminally
1: ill and that being on this show was their final wish and that this was all done under the guise of a fake charity all in an effort to keep the secret that a bunch of people that weren't good at singing in the first place could not sing in the first place may be the single most unforgiving thing to happen in the history of television. And hell yeah, that includes anything that aired on MTV in the past 20 years. So congratulations, Superstar USA. You achieved the most impossible of tasks. You helped make modern-day MTV look dignified. And it's because of this one act in what would otherwise have been a mediocre spoof on reality competition shows that nail you a grand slam, including wrath from the viewers, fraud to the contestants, heresy towards the reality competition format in general, and treachery over the fact that they told not one, but two whoppers of a lie just to keep the show's big joke under wraps. All of which gives me the hope that the people who are behind the making of this show actually manages to arrive in hell well before they're dead. Because an eternity of damnation for everyone involved is not going to be enough to punish them.
0: The WB's Superstar USA earns six out of nine circles of telehell, And thank merciful Satan, I have nothing else left to say about this abomination. And yes, it's taken me 79 shows to actually call one of our subjects as such. But this show is indeed an affront to the medium of television. And if this show has yet to appear in any worst-of-all-time lists, I hope I gave it a push in the right direction. And since I never want to mention this show again, we now have just enough time to wrap up the tale of both the WB and UPN. In spite of obstacles that each of the networks faced both of them still managed to put on their best programs in their final years on the air, especially on UPN's side, which managed to make a name for itself for the likes of Star Trek Enterprise, America's Next Top Model, Veronica Mars, and Everybody Hates Chris, the latter of which would give the network some of its best non-wrestling, non-Star Trek ratings in years, while the WB kept chugging ahead with its established shows. 7th Heaven, Gilmore Girls, Smallville, One Tree Hill, Charmed, supernatural and they even eventually found a rare sitcom hit with reba mcintyre's self-titled show all of these successes on the air were in spite of the fact that both the networks and their respective parent companies were continuously losing money by 2005 through a series of bad business decisions both related and unrelated to the networks and i'm sure connor higgins on youtube can fill you in on the rest of the story there all of which culminated in an announcement that nobody saw coming not even Hollywood Insiders. In January of 2006, the powers that be at Warner Brothers and Viacom announced that their 11 year old mini networks would join forces to become one. And thus, the countdown to the launch of the CW network had officially begun. What does the C and the W stand for? Okay, so we have C for CBS, which used to own UPN, plus W. For Warner Brothers. Equals
3: CW.
0: All that was left was to figure out which shows from both networks would make their way to the newly merged fifth network, which of the soon-to-be X wb and UPN affiliates would become a part of the new network, and which ones would be left in the dust with a cobbled-together barely network called My Network TV. And then, finally, to decide when both networks would sign off to make way for the changes. And so... On the night of September 17th, 2006, the WB would sign off the air with dignity and class for what they billed a night of favorites and farewells. Thanks to their Sunday schedule being expanded to five hours by that point, the network decided to fill their programming holes one last time with pilot episodes to the shows that brought them the most success that wouldn't migrate to the CW, because they'd already ended by that point. They were, in broadcast order, Felicity, Angel, Buffy, and Dawson's Creek, Buffy being a two-hour pilot. Not to be outdone, but UPN had no such fanfare when they signed off, partly because some of them were about to become CW affiliates, and WWE SmackDown, their final show, would make the move there next week. As the shows aired that final night on the WB, and the clock was ticking down for the Frog, a sense of melancholy was in the air. Not just for those who grew up watching the network, but for the executives who helped put it all together. In the final minute of its existence, a pop ballad called Crawl by music group This Way, coincidentally a song used in their 1999 promotional campaign, acted as a sign-off anthem, as a montage of the network's biggest stars say goodbye with the following words appearing on the screen. Quote, For 11 years, you brought us into your homes. We made you smile and tugged at your heart. And now, we say goodbye. From all of us at the WB, thank you. End quote. One final shot of Michigan J. Frog taking a bow appeared. Fade out. The end. Faces I remember. In the 2007 book, season finale, The Unexpected Rise and Fall of the WB and UPN, Co-author Suzanne Daniels, former WB executive and wife to co-creator of The Office, Greg Daniels, summed up the network's demise, but ultimate acceptance of it thusly, quote, Our thoughts turn to the infernal question. What went wrong? How did the WB blow a 22-point lead in the fourth quarter and wind up losing the game at the buzzer? The conventional wisdom was that the game changed in 2001 after Jamie Kellner went to Atlanta to run Turner Television. When his presence wasn't felt on a daily basis, the network truly lost its way. It was also true to the theory that letting go of Buffy the same year was the crucial mistake that felled the WB. It was a highly public fumble that spoke volumes about where the WB was and was not in its growth curve as a network at the time. Later on, at a closing night party at the home of founding network programmer Garth Anseer, Daniels later reflected, quote, We were all moved by the moment of the sign-off. Everyone was hugging. I felt so grateful to Garth for orchestrating such a classy sign-off. Amid the huddle of well wishes, Garth felt an arm wrapped gently around his neck. It was Jamie Kellner administering a bear hug. Although the network had its peculiar struggles as a business, we managed to achieve the kind of closure we'd given viewers in our best shows. The euphoria we all felt for what the WB had once been was so strong in the first few minutes after the sign-off that Kellner even commented on it to an outsider who was fortunate enough to be in the crowd. There are a lot of people who worked very hard around here, Kellner observed, smiling broadly as he swiveled around to survey the scene. A lot of people who really cared. End quote. A lot of people did care about both networks, Not just the executives who put it together, but the viewers who grew up watching them. Sure, some of the shows that aired have had its fair share of flaws, and even some things that were truly reprehensible. But that's just part of the overall experience of putting a network together seemingly from nothing. The want and need to experiment and see what works and what doesn't. And perhaps the biggest advantage for both networks, the fact that even on their best nights... Very few were watching in spite of the critical acclaim most of the time, and while both the WB and UPN successor network may, itself, be seeing some changes in the future thanks to new ownership, one can only hope that that experimental spirit that the original networks had can carry over into the next generation and beyond. Next time on Telehell. After sitting through a show this morally decaying, I could use a break. So with that, the channel surfing season will continue in February with shows from a network whose tale has yet to be fully told. But not unlike the WB and UPN, even they had moments where they throw stuff to the wall to see what sticks. God,
2: I hate doctors. I hate your stupid doctor's license plates that allow you to park any damn place you please while us poor nurses have to sneak in and out of the handicapped spots.
1: (laughs) Until February. If it's not in Telehell,
0: it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976. And all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. The show may be over, but you know where to find us. On social media, Twitter and Facebook at Telehell Podcast. Want to hear some premium content? Go to patreon.com slash Podcast. And if you have any questions or comments about this show, feel free to contact us at our complaint line, telehellpodcast at gmail.com. But even more than that, please be sure to like, comment, rate, subscribe, lie to us all over the places where Telehell is streaming, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many others, just by Googling Telehell.
2: created a FUSION